Good to be washed in the blood. When we sing that song, in my mind I go back to hear my grandmother sing it because she would sing, Are You Washed? None of you say washed, do you? That's what Mamma would say. Are you washed in the blood? All right, it's good to see you tonight. Hope you're right in the middle of a wonderful week. Uh, we thank God for His watch care over us and giving us another opportunity to come back out, fellowship together, and study His Word together, pray together, all the great things that we get to do on an evening like this. Well, my mother-in-law's gone. <laughs> uh, you just don't know her yet. No, I'm just. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, she may be getting on the on the Facebook, the Book of Faces, and watching us tonight. Grammy, if you're out there watching us tonight, you know. <laughs> oh mercy. Anyway, she keeps uh, she keeps things happening when she's around. Just just know that. Do you have good news? Who has something good to share tonight that you just have to tell everybody about? Anybody? Yes, Miss Marilyn. One of my students, uh, one of the adults, decided to take a Wow. Okay. Praise the Lord. That's a good report. Amen. Anybody else? Yes. <laughs> I think I probably told you about the testimony service where the little lady stood up. She didn't know what she could testify about, so it just occurred to her, and she said, I thank God tonight. I only have two teeth, but I'm grateful they meet in the middle. <laughs> it's good. I'm getting there, too. Some of you asked about my little fall, and, you know, it's, it's getting there. It's still there, though. Anyway, who else? Right now is in Saudi Arabia? Okay. Amen. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Glad to hear that. Anyone else? We had a great weekend. I, I told you a little bit about it Sunday morning, but um, just a blessing all day Saturday. Some of you slipped in on us, and we had a good time. Chick-fil-A came, stayed kind of full that day, and uh, just just such a good outpouring, and we're able to raise good funds for the foundation and all that. Just pray for us as we continue 
that. We think it's a very good thing that we're trying to do, and we need wisdom to know because we're getting it to a point where we can really start open up and doing more and more. Did I, did I tell you about last week, last week leading up to Andrew's birthday? I can't remember if I reported this to you last Wednesday night, but I, I just felt like this was so uh, very neat, special, that happened on his birthday week. We had a teacher to call us from Science Hill Elementary School, and they take an annual trip to Washington, D.C. They're sixth graders, I believe it is, and there were two brothers that didn't have their trips paid for and had to be in by the end of this month. So today, actually, was the last day that it could be paid or they were not going to get to take their trip. Came from a broken home and the father had not paid what he had promised to pay. The good news is they reached out and the foundation was able to pay that off uh, so that those boys will have their educational opportunity and get to go see Washington, D.C. And we're, you know, we just feel like it's very special that that happened on Andrew's birthday week. So we're getting to really engage that thing and see see some good things happen. But we, we've got to figure a lot of things out. So continue to pray for us as we work with that. We have a wonderful board of trustees, good good people with good minds, and they're helping in tremendous ways, but just continue to pray for us as we do that. Any other good news? Thank you, Amanda. Anybody else? <clears throat> yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. We'll pray for that. That's good news, though. Amen. Anyone else? All right, let's go, Lord, in prayer as we uh, prepare our hearts to uh, receive His Word tonight. Lord, thank You for all the many great reports that we've had tonight, how You are moving in lives, how You're answering prayer, how You're 
showing out and demonstrating to all with eyes to see that you are God and you alone are God and that, Lord, not only are you God, but you're a good God. And we praise you tonight that you are a good, good Father. Lord, I pray that we would find in your word tonight uh, application that we need to make for our own lives. I pray that, Lord, our ears would be alert, that our hearts would be receptive, and that our will would be supple in your hands so that we can be made and molded more into the image of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Now don't you all get mad at me, but we're taking a break. I know that I left you with a cliffhanger last Wednesday night, and I talked to you uh, Sunday about how eager I was to get back into our study tonight. But do you know what I did? Just forgive me for this. I have my little PowerPoint presentation on one of those little thumb drives. And when I left out this morning, I left the house early this morning, drove down to Pineville, back up to here. But when I left out this morning, I didn't take my thumb drive with me. So, same bat time, same bat channel. If you'll come back next week at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, we'll pick up where we left off. I don't think there are accidents with God, though. I really don't. I think that God intervenes in the affairs of our lives, sometimes in ways that we don't even suspect. Um, My dad was big on that. I remember times when we would be going on a trip and maybe even have a deadline and get into a situation that delayed us or something like that. And he said, well, we've just got to trust the Lord because you know what? God may have been delaying us for a purpose, uh, for some reason that we don't even know that we might not ever know. So I trust tonight that God just had a plan for us to look at something else and take just a little bit of break from our Wednesday night study. As I realized what I had done, honestly, just immediately almost, the Lord laid on my heart uh, a passage of Scripture that comes from the Sermon on the Mount, the book of Matthew. So I would encourage you to turn there with me. I think we have the the verses up on the screen. But I want to talk to you tonight about being an influential Christian. How do you be and live your life in a way that influences positively the people that are around us? Well, Jesus tells us exactly how to do this, and you know this passage very well. Some of you may even have it memorized because he says here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? How shall it be salty again? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill and cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, 
and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I want you to use your imagination uh, a little bit at the outset tonight. And however you picture Jesus, I want you to picture Jesus back when he was on the earth nearly 2,000 years ago. And I want you to see him standing now down at the edge of the shore there on the Sea of Galilee. And seated up ahead of him, there is this hillside, and the hillside has a natural indention in it, almost as if someone went there by design and carved out an amphitheater. I wish I could pick you up right now, and we could just magically fly over to Israel, and I could take you right to this exact spot. It's incredible to see. Beautiful Sea of Galilee's behind you. There's room to stand there, and then again, in the side of this hill. It is just like a natural amphitheater. And I've done this many times. I've taken somebody and put them down near the shoreline and had people up on the hillside. And the person on the shoreline, I will tell them, just begin to talk with your normal, natural voice. Don't scream, don't shout, don't try to raise your voice or inflect it more than you typically would. Just begin to talk. And it's amazing how just naturally there, somebody can talk and people way up on that hillside can hear what the person down there is saying. Uh, It's just a beautiful thing. I believe that God knew that there would be this crowd of people that would come around the Lord Jesus at this particular time in his life and that he would begin to preach what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I will say this though, even if there hadn't been that place where they could all gather and just the natural effect of being able to speak and be heard I believe that Jesus could have spoken anywhere and everybody could have supernaturally heard him regardless of the situation and the surroundings. But it's just really neat that it seems like there is this particular place where Jesus met with all of these people. Now let me ask you a question and I want to get your response. So there's Jesus, there's this big crowd of people in Galilee What do you think those people look like? What do you think they look like? Do you think that they were there and they were wearing, you know, the very nicest of robes and attire that they had in that day? No, because remember the context. This is at Galilee. This is not down in Jerusalem where the religious aristocracy and the Jewish muckety-muck are, but this is in Galilee. So typically what you would have there would be rough fishermen, really poor people. That's why Jesus would later take a little boy's lunch 
and supernaturally multiply it and be able to feed thousands of people. They needed that because they had a very meager existence, sort of living from hand to mouth, so to speak. So there's Jesus. The crowd is gathered. It's not the famous people in Israel. It's not the super educated people in the land. It's not the wealthy aristocracy down in Jerusalem. These are normal, everyday kind of people, my kind of people, just everyday people. And really what Jesus is teaching them in these verses is, you're normal, you're everyday, you're common, but you are influencers. Did you know that everybody influences somebody? Parents influence children. Grandparents influence grandchildren. Teachers influence students. Wherever you go, whatever you do, there's somebody that you influence. And so Jesus is looking at these normal, everyday Galilean people, and he says, you are influencers. That's what he means when he says you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Sometimes we take that saying, salt of the earth, um, and it means different things to us. Sometimes I think we even devalue what it means when somebody says this person or that person is the salt of the earth. But I want you to know it's a highly significant thing that Jesus looked at them and said, you're salt and you're light. And I want you to notice that he tells them in regard to salt to be salty salt. Now, look at verse 13, the first part of it. He just simply says, you're the salt of the earth. Now, let me ask you another question. Why in the world would Jesus look at people and call them salt? Because that's where we get the saying when we talk about normal, everyday, just good folk. Often again, we call them the salt of the earth. And it comes from what Jesus said here in the Sermon on the Mount. But why in the world do you think Jesus would look at those people and call them salt? Yeah. I'm hearing different things because of the scarcity of it. Because it could be scarce, it was also valuable. It's kind of hard for us to understand because one of the least expensive things on your grocery list is a box of salt. I don't know why we call it a box of salt. It's actually usually a cylinder, a cylinder of salt. But we call it a box. I guess a box can be around too, right? So we call it a box of salt. True story. A few years ago, I had uh, been out speaking somewhere, and I was coming home really late at night, and Amy called me all of a sudden, and she said, Alan, I've got to fix whatever it was for one of the boys to take the school the next day, and I can't do it because we are out of salt. So on your way to the house, will you stop at Kroger or Walmart or somewhere and bring home a box of salt? Well, simple enough. 
But I told her, I said, honey, I don't know if I can do that or not. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't know if you noticed or not, but yesterday I got a new debit card in the mail and I hadn't put it in my wallet yet. But I had taken out the old debit card. I don't carry cash, typically. That's just me. I know that some people still carry a lot of cash and that kind of thing. And so, honestly, not being the one who typically buys our normal kitchen supplies, I told her, sweetie, I don't know if I'm able to buy a box of salt. I'll do my best. I don't have my debit card, though. So I may have to come home, get my debit card, go back out, to the store. Well, was coming up, whipped it into Walmart, and I thought, surely to goodness, I can find enough change in my car to go in to buy a box of salt. I didn't know if I could or if I couldn't. I think I finally scrapped together something like 85 cents. And I thought, I don't know. I just don't know because in my mind, salt could have been five bucks. I didn't know. I honestly did not know. And so I walked into Walmart, and I looked down into the great value salt, and it was 69 cents. And so I was able to fulfill Amy's request because I had about 85 cents in my pocket, buy the salt, and had some change to spare. My point is simply this. For us, salt is mundane. It's, it's cheap. You can buy salt. That's no big deal. 69 cents, great value at Walmart. Now, if you have to get up to the Morton stuff, maybe you're over a dollar. I don't even know if it's a dollar or not. But I can tell you the great value, 69 cents, or it was a few years ago. Salt is no big deal to us. 2,000 years ago, in first century Israel, as we've already said, it could be scarce. Therefore, it, it could be very valuable. Salt meant so much to them. What are some things they did with salt? Why did they need salt in their everyday life? They needed it, I'm hearing it, as a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators. And in that relatively hot and uh, arid country, they, they didn't even have springs, you know. They, people used to take things down to the spring and uh, things would be cooler down there and that kind of thing. They didn't have any of that. But if they wanted to preserve some meat, they had to have salt. So yes, salt was a preservative. We understand that, don't we? I love country ham. I should not love country ham. But I don't eat country ham that often. But every now and then, I like to get in on it, don't you? Because, that, you know, it's just that salt, that flavor, that, you know, that cured taste and all of those things. I haven't had dinner either tonight, so I'm starting to get hungry talking about it. But you get it. You understand what it means to use salt as a preservative. Here's a good thought for you. They didn't have country ham. These are Jewish people. They, they had salted down fish, if you could imagine that. They would, they would catch fish, 
They had a way of preserving the flesh of fish uh, with salt, and so they needed it as a preservative. Why else did they need salt? They needed it to preserve. Salt also had a medicinal purpose. You've heard the old expression, it's like rubbing... Yeah, you've heard that. It's like rubbing salt into the wound. And so salt has a purifying uh, agent to it. And so when, when they would have a wound, a gash, often they would treat it with salt. So it was a preservative. It had a medicinal purpose. And then it had the normal everyday purpose. They would also use salt for their recipes just to do their normal cooking with. When they made their little loaves of bread, they used salt. When they cooked their fish, that's typically what their diet was. They would use salt. When they ate vegetables, they would put salt on it. So salt, you're beginning to see, was extremely valuable to those people, and it could be very scarce. It was hard to come by. Salt, primarily for them, came out of the Dead Sea. And Dead Sea salt, we're talking about Galilee, and that's significantly north of the Dead Sea. And so getting the salt from the Dead Sea, having it harvested there, brought up to Galilee and other places, that was very difficult, and it was hard to come by, particularly for normal, everyday people. It was not 69 cents at Walmart. Salt was very, very important. So I'm telling you, you know, if Jesus were here talking to us and we didn't have the context of this passage and Jesus would say to us, you are the salt of the earth, we would be like, what? Why in the world is he calling us salt? But I'm saying to you in the first century, when Jesus looked at those people and he says, you're as valuable as salt, that really meant something to them. It meant a lot to them. Have you ever thought about the word salary? Salary. Salary. What's a salary? What is a salary? Yeah, it's what you get for working, right? You get paid a salary. Do you hear the root word in salary? Do you understand that the word salary actually comes from the word salt? Now why? Well, let me tell you this. Sometimes even the Roman soldiers were paid with a script for salt. Think about that. You would work, and at the end of that work period... Maybe you wouldn't bring home denarii or you wouldn't bring home anything else, but you'd bring home a script and you could take it to a a certain depository and you could turn that in and they would give you an allotment of salt. That's how important. That's how it's significant. Salt was for those people. Has anybody ever looked you in the eye and said this to you? You ain't worth your salt. You ever heard that? What does that mean? Well, we think it means you're not worth 
the salt that might be in your body. But that's not what it means. Where it comes from, again, is, is from uh, that time frame when people would be paid with salt. And if somebody wasn't doing his job, if a soldier wasn't pulling his rank, if a soldier wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, but he still got his script for salt, his buddy might just look at him and say, you're not worth your salt. That's where it comes from. I say all that simply to say this. For them, when Jesus said, be salt, you are the salt of the earth, that was huge. That was like Jesus telling them, like I've played around with you before, told you to look at your thumb and say, I'm a thumb body. That's what Jesus was doing. You're important. You're influential. You're the salt of the earth. But then he talks about there's a problem with salt. Do you see it there? Look at verse 13, and this is hard for us to understand, but hopefully I'll help us in an explanation in just a moment. He says, that's what you are, you're salt. But here's a problem. If salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If salt becomes unsalty, that's what Jesus is saying. If your salt becomes unsalty, it becomes not valuable. Now, again, that's hard for us to understand because salt is what? Sodium chloride. If you study a little bit of chemistry, you find out that sodium chloride, that's a compound, and sodium chloride is one of the most stable compounds in all of history. They are not history, but all of chemistry. Uh, Sodium and chloride, when they come together, and they make that molecular bond, it is solid. And so we don't understand it. We don't understand what Jesus is talking about here because really our salt that you and I have, even the great value stuff at Walmart, our salt is so refined that it is is really good salt. And so you can have a box of salt up in your kitchen cabinet and maybe not use it for months and then go back to it. And guess what? That salt is going to be just as salty as it was months ago because sodium chloride is so stable as a compound. Different in the day of Christ because, remember what I said a moment ago, most of their salt was harvested from the Dead Sea. And they didn't have the refining mechanisms that we have today. So they would have Dead Sea salt, and in that salt, there would be other things. It wouldn't be pure sodium chloride. There would be other things meshed down in that salt. And so sometimes in the rainy season, when it was very, very moist, the salt would be dissolved in moisture and in water, and then all of a sudden the salt dissipates with 
the water, and what's left behind is sort of salty, but it's really bad. It's putrid. Now, you can still taste salt from the Dead Sea. In fact, the Dead Sea is so briny that right now you could go there, you could, and I mean this, you could just barely touch the tip of your finger on the surface of the Dead Sea and stick it to your tongue and it, it would burn. I mean that. But also, not only would you taste the saltiness, there, there's other things, there's other sediments down in that Dead Sea salt. So 2,000 years ago, these people knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when he says, you're salt, but there's a problem with salt because your salt can become unsalty. And this is what he says. When your salt becomes unsalty, when it loses its flavor, when it's out of its seasoning, then there's nothing really good for it. You can just throw it out and it can only be good to be trampled on the roadside under the foot of men. You know, you wouldn't want to throw it on vegetation because it would have enough salt left in it. It could kill your vegetation. Jesus said you have to throw it on the road, and people passing up and down the road, they're going to grind that unsalty salt down into the road. All right, now let's try to apply this. Jesus says we're salt, but how can we become unsalty? Can we, as believers, Jesus is trying to tell us we're influencers. He wants us to change our families. He wants us to change our communities. He wants us to change the institutions where we work. He wants us to be influencers for Him. But is it possible that we can become not as salty for the Lord as we ought to be? It happens, doesn't it? As a believer, what's worse than losing money? What's worse than losing your standing in culture or anything else is losing your testimony. Jesus says you're an influencer because you're the salt. You're that which preserves. You're that which is spiritual medicine for this world. You are a medicine. You are a flavoring. You are influential. But if you lose your salt, if you lose what you're supposed to be for the Lord, Jesus says then what's going to happen is people are going to ignore you. You're going to be thrown out and you're going to become just trampled under the feet of men. What Jesus is saying here is a believer that becomes unsalty is not good for anything. Good for nothing. You ever been told that? I hope not. Uh, hey, that reminds me of, of, of the little story. Uh, a mother was having trouble with her cantankerous little boy and 
he was on her ever-loving last nerve, whatever that means. And finally, after she had argued with him all day, he finally had an idea, a big bright idea. And he said, Mom, i tell you what. If you'll give me $5, I'll be good for you for the remainder of the day, the rest of the day. If you'll just give me five bucks, I'll be good for you. She looked at him and said, why can't you be like your daddy good for nothing? I think that's pretty funny. If, if we lose our salt, you know, if, if we can't flavor the world the way God wants us to flavor the world, if, we, if we're not good medicine to the world, if we're not a good preservative by our character, you see, salt refers to who we are. It refers to our character. And I'm just telling you, too many people have trouble with the church because they see so much of the world in the church that we've lost our effect. So Jesus says, if you want to be an influencer, be salty salt. Be salty salt. That's what we want to be. Number two, Jesus says, not only should you be salty salt, but I want you to shine your light brightly. He goes on to say in verse 14, You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, and it cannot be hidden. Now, salt refers to our character. Light refers to our conduct. Salt refers to who we are. Light refers to what we do. And I would contend with you tonight that more important really than what we do is who we are. Because who we are eventually comes out. You know, you can only wear a mask for so long. And something's going to happen, and the mask is going to fall, and people are going to see you for what you really are. But if you are who you're supposed to be, if you're the salty salt, then you can shine your light brightly. My dad used to do this little illustration. Uh, he had taken an electric cord, and you know how there, there's, there's two cords in an electric cord. He pulled out one side, and he broke it, and he wired it in to, to two copper rods. And you can put those two, maybe you've seen this before, you can put those two copper rods down in a glass of water, and you can plug a light into it. I know you think somebody's going to get electrocuted, but it doesn't happen. But you can start sprinkling the salt into that water, and that salt becomes a conduit. And, and it, will, it will actually transfer electricity from one end of the broken wire to the other, and all of a sudden, the light comes on. It's a beautiful illustration for this. And the more salt that you add and the more you mix it into the water, guess what happens to the light? Yes, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Y'all don't believe me, do you? Look it up. Look it up. Get on YouTube and look it up. There are examples out there. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, it's not very good for anything. And you can't be the light that 
I want you to be. That's what Jesus is saying here. I want you to be a bright light for me. We're commanded to be light in darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's put light down in us. Philippians 2.15 says this, that you may become blameless and harmless children without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Crooked, perverse generation. Do you believe we live in a crooked and perverse generation? You better bet we do, but God says we're to be light in that crooked and perverse generation. Let me give you one more. Ephesians 5.8 You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So who we are, that's character, shining our light, that's what we do. God wants us to be light, and I know sometimes... We, we look around and it's so very dark, but let me ask you a question. Where is light most needed? Where is light most seen? In the darkness. I remember uh, the first time I went to Brazil on mission. There was one of our missionaries on the plane with us as overnight flight. And as we started to get close coming onto the north shore, the north Atlantic shore of Brazil, and as we were coming down, you could look out the window of the plane and you could see these, these just tiny flickers of light on the ground below us. I mean, you could just see them, these little bitty flickers of light. Now, it wasn't like, if you've ever flown over a big city at night, you know what that's like. Fly over L.A. or New York or London or Paris, one of those big places like that. You, just, you look down and you see light everywhere. But this was different. It was like, over there's a flicker, over there's a flicker, and you just keep looking out that plane window and you just see these little flickers of light. And he looked over. He could see that I was looking out the window. He said, Alan, do you know what you're looking at? I said, no, I just see these little flickers of light. And this is what he said. He said, those are the lights of campfires from the natives down below. Now, to me, that was amazing that we could be that far up in a dark sky and we could look all the way down and, and see these little lights. Now, sometimes... You might feel like I'm insignificant and this little light of mine is not going to do very much, but I want you to know this. When you shine your light for Jesus, you don't know who you're influencing because you can be influencing people. They can be seeing you shine your light for Jesus and you might not think that it's any big deal 
But I'm telling you, it might just be your light that leads them to the lighthouse, that leads them to Christ. And so Jesus says, be salty salt. He says, be people who shine your light brightly. And why do we do it? Why? Well, we do it to illuminate the Father. So if you're tracking with me, be salty salt, shine your light brightly, illuminate your Father. Notice how Jesus wraps this up. You're the light of the world, he says again in verse 14. You're a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. We sing about that in Sunday school, didn't we? Hide it under a basket. No. Don't do that. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to hide it under a basket. They don't do that, but they, they accentuate it. They put it on a lampstand and it can give light to everybody that's in the house. And here's why we do it. Look at verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what, church? Give glory to God. Glorify your Father. See, it's all about glorifying God. This is how you know that you're getting it right in doing whatever works that God has called you to do. You know, there's that word works there. And sometimes we don't like to deal with works because we understand we're saved by grace and not by works. We get all of that. But let me ask you tonight, are works important? Absolutely, they don't save us. They don't keep us saved. But they certainly prove our salvation. James said, I'll show you my faith by my what? Works. But we work our works not to be seen by men, but we work our works to show how great God is, to illuminate the Father. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're salty salt. That's why we shine our lights brightly so that other people through us might be able to see and glorify the Father. That's why we do it. And so this is how you know you're doing it right. Just ask yourself the question. Are people seeing my works, the things I do, and then are they taking that and giving glory to God? That's what we should want. You know, not to be seen, not to be heard, not to be applauded, but for people to see what we do for the Lord and in turn give glory to God. Listen, that's all that makes a difference. You know, it's not about being patted on the back or anything like that, but it's about doing what we do so that people may glorify the Father who is in heaven. You're an influencer. You're a thumbbody. God loves you. And God wants to use you. Be salty salt. Be who He wants you to be. Don't let your salt get mingled 
with the things of the world, you start losing your saltiness that way. Have a big old light for Jesus. You'll make a difference. You may not know that you're making the difference, but I promise you, if you're living your life for the Lord, you are making a difference. You're making a difference. Because what you're doing at the end of the day, it's not for you, it's not for your personal glory, not for the applause of men, but you are shining the Father. People see what you do, and they are giving glory to God. You're an influencer. You're an influencer. Go out and influence. That's all I've got to say about that. So, we will turn our...